Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. I really just want to spend some time as a church family just to talk about where we're at. Not as a church, but where we're at as a church big C, where we're at as a nation. And really prayer kind of lent into that. Because when you look at our world, guys, is anybody else like frustrated? Like anybody else is like, Lord, what, what do we do? And my wife is like, Jesus, come right now. And I was like, no, hold on, wait a minute. I want to go, but not yet. <laughs> I want to hold a grandbaby at some point, right? And it's like, I'm not, like, I'm not ready. But when you look at our nation, COVID numbers are on the rise. And so you notice some of our teams wearing masks. We've, we've done that not because we're putting our trust in a, math, but in, a, in a mask, but we're doing that because we want to create a safe environment where people feel safe, okay? And I'm like, no shame if you're not wearing a mask. I don't care. This is just what we're doing as a team is we want to make sure that we've taken every precaution as necessary. But you look at numbers, and we have medical workers in our church, and they are exhausted. I'm married to a teacher. She is exhausted, those of you who are leaders in the community or maybe run a business, you're exhausted. Moms and dads are exhausted. Then you turn on the news and you just look and it's not any good news. Would you agree? Like even the Rolling Stones drummer died. He was about to go on tour. Charlie Watts was 80 years old and about to go on a worldwide tour. When I'm 80, I'm hoping I can go to the bathroom, right? And he was about to go on tour. So it's like all news is bad news. But I know when I look in God's word, it's full of good news. And so what is our response? What do we do? And, and we have to understand, and I don't, like, not all of life is bad, but all of life can be challenging. And I think looking at social media, like social media and Instagram, and we see all these fake pictures and fake highlight reels, and we think that our life is, can I say this? is junk. I'll just say that. Our life is junk because it doesn't measure up. But Jesus never promised us a storm-free life. He promised us a storm-proof life. As a matter of fact, he tells the disciples this in John 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that you will have peace where? In me. Not in your material things, not in your bank account, not in your leaders, not in your education, but in who? In me. He's saying, have it in me. And he says this, here on earth you will have trials and sorrows. Did I leave out a word? Many. All right, I was making sure you guys caught it. Not a few, not some, but many. And many is a lot. How many of you say that right now we're having many trials? And we're having many sorrows. And not M-I-N-I, but M-A-N-Y, Right? And it's not just been a few months. It's not just been a year. Guys, we're rolling on like a year and a half. 
for my family like two years since we moved here to plant a church. So what do we do in the process of all of this? And like pastoring, parenting, teaching, leading, adulting is really, really hard right now. And so why is all of this happening? Anybody ever ask that question to yourself or maybe someone else? You just ask like, God, why is all of this happening? Why is the world on fire? And, you know, I can't give you a, a, like a cookie cutter, nice answer where we wrap it up and put a bow on it. But there are some things that we see in scripture that, that could be why some of this stuff is happening. And so this is happening because there's sin and consequences in the world. These things are happening because God uses these things as a refining process. These things are happening because, let's just be honest, our world is broken. And these things are happening because there is an enemy. And the enemy is fighting against everything that God is trying to do in and through us. And so when we look at this, that it could be happening because of sin and consequences, we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13, he says, at times... This is a conversation between Solomon and God. He says, at times I might shut up the heavens as no rain will fall or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Listen, we quote the last part of that scripture all the time. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, pray to me, I will hear from heaven and return or I will heal their land. But we skip the first part of that where he says when we should do this. He says at times I might shut up the heavens so no rain falls. At times, I might command droughts. I might command famine, grasshoppers to devour your crops. At times, I might send plagues. This is heavy to think about. Am I saying God caused COVID-19? No. Am I saying it's possible that he's using us, using it to bring us back to him? Yes. Because how many of you would probably say that you prayed more in the last year or so than you prayed in a long time? See, we stop praying and depending on God when everything is going well. It's not until things start going off course that we come back to him and saying, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. There was, there's a crazy like pattern that I see in the Old Testament that whenever God's people were far from him, things like this would happen or it said they would, he would deliver them into the hands of their enemies. When God's people would, would turn from God, he would deliver them into the hands of their enemy. What would happen when they did that? They would turn back to God. We think deliverance only happens when we are taken out of the hands of our enemy, right? That's what we want. God, take us out of this. Take us out of this. Take us out of this. But in all reality, keeping us in it keeps us closer to him. Nobody wants to amen that, right? But that's the truth that we're reading here in Scripture, that there are consequences to our sin and the consequences to the sin. I'm not talking about your sin or my sin. I'm talking about the sin of all that is global, that there are consequences. Ephesians says that, that we cannot mock God's judgment, that we will sow what we reap. 
No, reverse that. We will, I tried to be all like dramatic there. Did you get it? But we will reap what we sow. We will talk about that in October. There's a spiritual principle of, of sowing and reaping. And so part of what we are experiencing in this world, as harsh as it is to hear and to take in, is some of it, not saying all of it, some of it is consequences of man's sin. Can you guys nod your head so I know you get it? I know we don't like it, but that is partial of what is happening now. So we look at sin and consequences. We look at a refining process, okay? A refining process. God is using this to bring us closer to him, to bring out the best in us. And really the best scenario that we see this take place is in the book of Job. All right, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, even though it's not at the beginning. We think that's where it should be, but it's somewhere in the middle. It's the oldest book in the Bible, and it is about someone that God considered blameless and righteous. Like, as a matter of fact, it says that, that an angel came in John, or in Job chapter one, it says that an angel came and Satan came with him to, to heaven and approached the Lord, and God's like, hey, man, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, what are you... Who, who let you in? And so Satan is like, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And then verse eight says, and the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God. He stays away from evil. And Satan replied, yeah, but he has a good reason to because you're taking care of him. You're watching over him. Your hand is on him. And he says, remove your hand and see what happens. Reach out and take everything that he has, and I bet he curses you. And so God's like, all right, you can test him. You can take away everything that he has, but don't touch his body. Take away everything that he has, but don't touch his body. We'll test him and see. And so when you continue to read the story over like the course of just a few minutes, some servants show up and give Job some bad news. Look, all your cattle's gone. All your, your crops are gone. Another servant comes up and says, look, all your servants are gone. I'm the only one that has survived. While that guy's talking, another one comes up and says, look, there was some winds and they knocked down your house and all your children are gone. And Job, even in that moment, didn't curse God. He still said what the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. How many of you, would be able to say that. You lose everything in one day. I'm not. Like, in all, like I, would, I would have a moment where I'm in the floor in that because you guys know how much I love my girls and my wife and you guys. Like if I lose everything, me and God are gonna have some words, but Job said nothing. And then so Satan comes back to God and, and he's like, look, all right, I know he didn't curse you, but it's because we didn't touch his body. Like let me touch his body. Let me bring illness to his body and see what happens. And so God says, okay, just don't kill him. And so Satan goes and touches Job and his body is covered in sores. Like think the worst case of the chicken pox or the worst case of poison ivy that you could ever have. It's so bad that, that he's stripped himself and he's, he's scraping his body with broken pottery because he's itching so bad. And he still doesn't curse God. As a matter of fact, his wife comes to Job and says, why don't you just curse God and die? If I'm Job, I'm thinking, why are you still here? <laughs> like, give me my kids back. <laughs> give me my kids back. God should have dealt with you. Like, like, that's what I'm thinking if I'm Job in that moment. But not my wife. I love my wife. Like, I would want to keep, because my wife is not like Job's wife at all, right? She would be comforting me. 
<laughs> I love you, babe. But if I'm Job and my wife, not my wife, but if Job's wife said that to me, I would, I would have some choice words for her, right? And we would. But even through that, Job did not curse God. He still held faithful to God in that moment. But then Job begins to have conversations with his friends, and his friends start to, to twist his thoughts. And then a time comes where he starts to question God's goodness. And he's like, God, don't you see? I'm blameless. I've done everything that you said. And he begins to question God, and I love this, in Job chapter 38. God is silent this whole time, and he's just listening. He's just listening. He's listening to Job complain. He's listening to Job's friends talk to him. Job's friends complain. And so finally, God's had enough. And this is what he says in Job chapter 38. He says, who questions me with such ignorant words? And he speaks to Job, and he says, brace yourself like a man. Prepare to answer my questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you? And so Job at this point is like, I'm sorry, Lord, I've only heard of you, but now I see you. And then God says again, brace yourself like a man. Be prepared to answer my questions. What he's saying is, look, Job, man up, because now I'm about to speak. Like, do you guys remember when dad walks in the room? You get silent. God walks in the room as the father of all and says, now listen to me. And then at the end of it all, we see Job make this statement. He says this. He says, I've only heard about you, but now I've seen you with my own eyes, and I take it all back. Because there was something inside of Job that God needed to bring to the surface. And I know, like, this isn't fun to hear. I don't enjoy sharing this. I would much rather make you laugh and think than make you think, oh, man, that hurt. That's uncomfortable. But sometimes God uses these things in our life to bring things that are hidden deep inside us to the surface so that he can address them. Because God even said, look, he's blameless. But then as he goes through this, some things begin to come to the surface and see, when, when you purify gold, you guys know this, when you purify gold, you heat it up and you heat it up, you heat it up, and then all the impurities come to the top of the surface. And the goldsmith takes and skims it off the top so that it's purified. And when we go through seasons like this, God takes us through a purifying process to refine us, to refine our faith, to strengthen our faith. I will tell you 100%, my faith is way stronger now than what it was when I started to plant the church. I thought I was a strong guy until I found myself on my face, in my floor, crying so many nights saying, God, is this ever going to happen? And it's not until we put ourselves there that we find out what's really on the inside. So sin and consequences, a refining process, and then honestly just the brokenness of this world, just the fallenness of this world. Just since the fall in Genesis when Adam and Eve chose to sin, they changed the process of how this kingdom, this earthly realm operates, and it's no longer perfect. And so there's a, you know, a hurricane coming up from the coast. Is God causing that? No but it's just a part of the brokenness of this world. And then the last reason that we see in Scripture is the enemy. Satan has reign in some areas and dominions on this earth in our lives that we open up to, and, and we see this. Like, Satan even comes and tempts Jesus. 
after he's fasted for 40 days. He should be super strong, but Satan comes and tempts Jesus even then. And so we even see Paul, when he's trying to go into a city to preach, he says, Satan prevented me from going in. And so we do have to understand that in all three of these other areas, Satan is at work trying to prevent God's kingdom from expanding, trying to prevent you from following closer, trying to get you from the very beginning. Satan's number one priority is to get us to question who we are and to question God's nature. And so when we see all of this going on and we immediately ask, how could God let this happen? Guess what we're doing? We're falling into Satan's trap. And we're questioning God's nature. And we're saying, if he's letting this happen, then he's really not good. If he's allowing this happen, then he's really not good. And so we look at everything that's happening in the Middle East. What that should do for us, church, is you should help us to wake up and realize how good we have it as an American church. That's the, like, if there's one good thing for us in America is witnessing that, we should realize. Like, I thought it was hardcore trying to plant a church in a pandemic. I couldn't imagine trying to pastor a people in in Afghanistan right now. So God, thank you, bringing me back to a place of gratitude. And so we look at this, instead of questioning God's nature of how could he, what we should do as a church is say, what can we? Instead of saying, God, how could you then we need to come and we need to look at us and say, what can I? What can I do in this process? So how do, how do you and I respond as individual believers? How does, how does Avenue Church respond? How does the church Big C respond? Because and, and here's the truth, guys. Like We live, and this was just a thought I had, we live in a sinful, fallen, broken, imperfect world. And here's why. Because it's made up of people, systems, and kingdoms that are fallen, broken, and imperfect. We live in a fallen, broken world because it's full of people who are fallen, broken, sinful, and imperfect. But here's the other truth of that. The church, the church, not just the building, but the people with the wisdom, the power, and the guidance from God's word and God's spirit should have a different perspective and response than what the world we live in has. Let me say that again. The church with the wisdom, the power, and the guidance from God's word and God's spirit should have a different perspective and response than the world that we live in has. When we read God's word and we trust God's spirit, we should allow those two things to come together and you and I should not have the same attitude. You and I should not have the same response. We should not have the same perspective that everyone else has. You guys tracking with me? We should see it from God's perspective, from God's goodness, how he can, again, use this. He causes all things to work together for our what? Good. It's like, yeah, this stinks right now. But God, I'm believing by your word. It might not feel like it right now. It might not even happen right now. But when this is all said and done, we will see good that has come out of this. You guys want to believe that with me? Like, I I want to, with everything that is within me, to believe that every struggle that you're facing right now, every worry that that you're walking through right now, as we get through the end of this, you will be stronger. Our church will be stronger. Our nation will be stronger. Our world will be stronger in some areas because then there'll be something else that we have to work on. But it may not happen today. It may not happen even this week, this month. And dare I say, I don't want to jinx it this year, right? But it is a process and we're not in charge of the process of the time that it takes or what it looks like. 
we're in charge of leaning into it with the right attitude. Victor Frankl, does anybody know who Victor Frankl is? He wrote an incredible book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he was in a concentration camp in Auschwitz during World War II um, and, and served. And he saw people live and people die. And the people who, who lived, they didn't live because they were expecting to get out. They lived because they found their purpose while they were in the midst of it. And so here's what the church has to do. We have to find our purpose while we're in the midst of this. You have to find your purpose while you're in the midst of all this. What can you do on a daily basis while we're in the midst of all this? And he makes this statement. He says, the, the, the human freedom that we have that cannot be taken away is to choose one's attitude. So they can take away all of our freedoms. And I am grateful for every freedom that we have. But when I crossed over from an earthly kingdom into a heavenly kingdom in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I gave up all my earthly rights. I gave up all of my earthly rights when I crossed from one kingdom into the other. And I'm grateful for everything that I have. But the one thing that regardless of which country I live in, regardless of where I work, regardless of, of who the leadership is, the one freedom they can never take away from me is my ability to choose my attitude in which I face a situation. Do you guys agree with that? Now, it's not an easy choice. It is a really, really hard choice to have a good attitude and to have a Christ-like perspective in the moment. Would you guys agree? It is not an easy choice. So what do we do? What's the attitude? It's super simple, but not easy. The first thing that we do is we love. It starts there, and really, it starts, it ends there, it's all there. We love. First John was one of Jesus' disciples. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. According to John, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. And John goes on to say, dear friends, since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to a full expression in us. That's a lot of scripture to read, but there is so much truth and so much action. We need to walk in that. And it can be very, very easy just to, to default and not love the person or treat the person with love who has a different opinion than us on today's hot topics, right? It can be very, very easy just to look at that person and to hear that person, to see that person's point of view and not just disagree, but to no longer love that person. And you may say that you love that person, but what is your heart? Like those words may come out of your mouth, but what's in your heart and what's in your mind when you think about that person? When you think about Paul, or, or Jesus says that, that it's easy to love our friends, but it's harder to love those who are enemies. And we did a whole series a few months ago called How to Neighbor. I wanna encourage you, go back and listen to it and see what it looks like to love our neighbors. It says, for God so loved the what? 
for God so loved the world. You know, Marvel's has a new movie coming out called The Eternals, and I saw the preview of it last night, and one of them makes a statement and says that we protect the things that we love. And I look at this world, and I look at you, and I look at my family, and I think about what I would do to protect my family, and I look at you and what I would do to protect this world, and then I think about God and like what he would do in all completeness to protect this world, to protect those who are his children. And we have to walk and operate in that same passion of loving, understanding. When I prayed earlier, it says that God wishes for no man to perish. So think of the person that you despise the most in your life. Think of the you know, political or the cultural figure that, that you think does not deserve God's love, whether it's Hitler, whether it's Dahmer, whether it's anybody in the Taliban. When you think about them, you would think that they don't deserve God's love, but God loves them just as he loves you and I. So we come with that mindset, we come with that attitude of love, and that love should cause us to do some things. It should first cause us to pray. All right, so we love, we pray. Paul says in the book of Philippians, he says, don't worry about anything, instead pray about what? What does that mean? It's not a trick question. All right, it means what? Everything. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts, his, your minds, and as you live in Christ. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ. His peace will guard your heart and your mind. We get peace from him when we pray about everything. We don't get peace by watching the news. We don't get peace by casting a vote. We don't get peace by sharing our opinion. We don't get peace by tearing someone else down. We get peace how? By praying. And so when we look at this situation in our world with love, it should take us to our prayer closet. It should take us to our knees so that we pray. We guard our hearts and our mind through prayer. We get our peace through prayer. We love, we pray, and thirdly, as a believer, as a Christian, as the church, we take the attitude of we serve. Jesus teaches about serving over and over and over as he's walking with the disciples. And there's a point in which the disciples are asking who's going to sit on the right, who's going to sit on the left, like, like who's, who's going to be like your right-hand man? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And he says, the leaders of this world lord it over their people. They take their leadership and they use it for their success. And Jesus says, but with you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave for everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So look, guys, we love others. We pray for them. We pray for the situation. Then we find opportunities to serve. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be small. It can be buying coffee. It can be taking donuts to the hospital. It can be Whatever God puts an opportunity in front of you to serve, that's what you can do. My kids used to love the, the um, animated movie Robots. Do you guys remember that? With Robin Williams as one of the voices? Maybe not. No. 
But there was a line throughout it. Mr. Bigwell was the main character and inventor, and his his theme throughout of why he invented things, he said, see a need, fill a need. So as a church, instead of just saying, God, how can you? Let's look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what can I? Let's wake up in the mornings with an attitude of love after we prayed and look for opportunities to serve regardless of their friend or foe, regardless if they're Democrat, Republican, regardless if they're vaccinated, unvaccinated, pro, for, against, whatever. It does not matter, people. I, I get so, and I'm kind of getting on a soapbox, soapbox and I normally don't do this. I'm just getting a little fed up, anybody else? With all the bickering. It's like I got a, you know, a bunch of people in my back seat. And anybody have your kids in the back seat and they just start bickering? And like, I will turn this thing around. I'm like, sometimes Jesus is like, I'm going to turn this thing around. But in a good way, right? I'm going to turn it around and beat my kids, <laughs> right? Jesus is, I'm going to turn this around so that you see how good I am. But what we do is we take opportunities to serve people across the line that are different from us. Jesus says, look, if someone asks you to carry their stuff one mile, don't just carry it one, carry it two. If someone takes you to court and asks for your shirt, just give them your shirt, but also give them your coat. Guys, let's have that type of attitude because they can't take that away from us. They can't take our attitude away from us. So we love, we pray, we serve. And then we also have to do this. We have to share. We have to share what God's done in our life. We have to share. In Acts 1.8, it says, but you will... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses everywhere. A witness is someone who simply shares what they've heard and what they've seen. The gospel means good news. There's so much bad news out there. Let's be the good news bringers. When we go to post something on social media, let's have it be good news. Let's have it to be Christ-centered. Let's have it to be encouraging. Let's not have it to be divisive. In our conversations, let's bring good news. Let's bring encouraging words. Let's share the gospel. Paul calls us the ambassadors of Christ, that we've been given a message of reconciliation and that it's through us that he's bringing people back into relationship with him. So we've been giving a, given a responsibility as the church. And one last thing, Paul says this. And so we look at all this and we love, we pray, we serve, we share. And I go back and forth. And sometimes it's not, it's not a popular opinion that we should fight. And some of you may not agree, I don't think we should fight as the world fights. Because look, when, we, when, when Jesus was being arrested, what did Peter do? Peter took out his sword and lopped the guy's ear off, right? And that's what we wanna do when we get offended and we see somebody coming against like our rights or, or that's different than us. We wanna, we wanna fight, we wanna pull out our sword and we wanna go to chopping people up. What does Jesus come to do? Jesus picks the ear up off the ground and puts it back on. And so when we fight, we fight from a place of love, of prayer, of serving, of sharing. That's how we maintain. That's how we respond 
in this culture because Paul makes this statement. He says, even though I am free, even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people that I might bring many to Christ. I live like the Jews under the law so that they can bring Christ to those under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who are outside the law, outside the Jewish law, I live apart from the Jewish law so that I can bring them to Christ. I only obey the law of Christ. And he says, I become all things to all people so that I might win some. Guys, as the church, that was, that's, that's what we have to do. We have to walk across the street, come across the table. We have to love. We have to pray. We have to serve. We have to share. We have to become a, a master to none, but a servant to all so that we might win some. And I know this is like a heavy message. I'm sweating up here. Do you guys see that? Like I'm bald. Whenever I eat hot stuff, like it sweats and runs down my forehead in these lights. But, but I really believe, guys, hear my heart on this. Like it's, as a church, we have a responsibility in this season, in this time, as a believer, as a husband, as a wife, as a college student, as a high school student, we have a responsibility to do what we can in the moment. Is it going to change the whole world? Maybe not, but it could change that moment. It could change those that are around you, and it could cause a ripple effect for those around you. The greatest thing that you can ever do, the greatest opportunity, the greatest stand that you could ever take is coming and standing before your Savior. Coming and standing before the one who says that take heart, I've overcome the world. And so maybe you've heard all of this and you're like, Stephen, you have no idea what I face on a daily basis. You're absolutely right. I don't. But scripture tells us there is one who does, that Jesus faced every trial and every hardship so that he would understand you, so that he does understand you. And since he understands us, the book of Hebrews says, since he faced every trial that we faced, he understands us. And as a result of that, here's what we get to do. We get to come boldly before him and we can stand before him and he will give us what we ask for and the mercy and the grace that we need, we can receive. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed in this moment, that the struggles and the trials and the things that you're going through in your personal life, in your world right now, completely outshadows and overshadows what's going on in the world. You're just trying to make it through. And you're like, Stephen, how can I pray for the world when I don't even know how to pray for myself? How can I love the world when I struggle to love myself? How can I serve others when I have nothing to give? How can I share when I have nothing to say? I get it. And I can't give you all the answers. I can only introduce you to the one that can, to the one that can heal your broken heart, to the one that can bring peace to your mind. And that is found not in me, not in Avenue Church, but it's in Jesus. And it's by coming into relationship with him and turning your life over to his and saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. It's in that moment that you cross from death to life, from an earthly kingdom to a heavenly kingdom. 
Scripture says that all those who are in Christ are a new creation. All things are made new and all things, all the old has passed away. And if that's you today and you say, I need Jesus, I need to give my life to Jesus, we do this every week because I don't want to miss an opportunity. Would you just lift your hand quickly? Just another moment. Awesome, awesome. Put your hand down. Now look, as I pray, it's not my prayers that save you, but it's yours. And you're simply going to say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm asking you to come into my life. I accept your son's death as forgiveness of my sin. And I want to live for you. Whatever that conversation looks like for you, right where you're seated. So, Father, we thank you for your presence today, God. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for those that lifted their hand today, God, acknowledging that they've had some struggles and some trials they're trusting in your word that says to take heart you've overcome those things and you have brought them into life God your word says that you are just to forgive us when we ask for forgiveness covering our sins your word says that you put our sins as far as the east is from the west never to remember them again so God I thank you for hearts that are changed today thank you for lives that were transformed today God, we ask that your hand be on us and our families and this world. God, give us the compassion, the love, the persistence to pray, the boldness to serve, and the courage to share. Let us keep the attitude and the mind of Christ through it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone says, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap this morning.